It is Friday, March 20th, 2020. I'm Kevin Williams. This is the LDS Live podcast. I hope you enjoyed last week's podcast with Brent Ashworth. I've been getting a lot of feedback. Speaking of feedback, if you want to leave me feedback, please do so at kevinw at ldslivepodcast.com. That's email, emailing me at kevinw at ldslivepodcast.com. You can also go to Facebook and check out the podcast and Twitter, although my Twitter account has not been updated for a little bit of time, but Facebook account is there also. If you're wondering the website, go to ldslifepodcast.com. If you want to listen to it the good old-fashioned way, download a uh, podcast to your favorite audio device. We have a very special guest. I never thought I would get these people in. Uh, Kels and Stephanie Goodman, how are you folks? We're great. We're doing fantastic. Oh, good. And a little bit about this. These people are founders, is that correct? You're founders of the LDS Film Festival? No, actually, we are uh, uh, current owners of the LDS Film Festival, but we weren't founders of the festival. Uh, That was done by a different individual named Christian Louisa, who is another filmmaker. And, uh, but I, we've, we've been attending the festival for probably, or, or participating for since at least 2006. And so we've been with it for quite a while, but we purchased it, um, about three years ago, four years ago. And, uh, and so we've been running it for the last three. We've just had our third year that we've operated it as a, you know, under ourselves. So. Oh, okay. So, uh, how did you get involved in, in uh, becoming the owners of the film festival, and how did why did the original person sell it? Well, uh, Christian Vuisa, uh started it uh, nearly twenty years ago. Where this year was our nineteenth uh, annual film festival, and we we started attending after Stephanie and I got married in two thousand six. And uh, then I lived near the theater where he had he held it every year. And I'm friends with Christian from like college days. And so I've known him for a long time and I knew about the festival. And uh, I attended once during its first year, but didn't think much of it. I just I literally walked in, said hi and I left. That was I feel bad that I wasn't. A little more attentive at the time but uh, uh, and then after uh, it was pretty much after God's Army had come out and uh, that this festival began and it started more as a college event with BYU's film program but but not by the film program itself just by Christian and the students you know were attending and so we I started attending uh, every year since 2006 because the CIRA Center for the Arts, which is where it uh, takes place at in Orem, I lived like two blocks from it. And so it became easy to just walk over there and help them out. And each year I just took more and more of a higher, uh, I guess uh, I I took a a larger role each year till it got to the point to where Christian, who is from Austria, had to move back to Austria and it became difficult for him to go back and forth from Austria to America and run the festival. And so 
I just suggested, why don't I just take it over? And he goes, well, why don't you just buy it from me? <laughs> and so, so we just took it over. And since I pretty much knew most of the workings already, um, the, then that was kind of the origin of that. And, uh, and we keep growing, you know, every year as, as to the amount of films that come in. When did you buy the festival? Uh, when? Yeah. Uh, it was in 2017. It was right after the, right after the 2017 uh, festival, which is every year around the last week of February or the first week in March. Uh, and right after that is when I, uh, we did the deal and then I started uh, all of the submissions. Uh, you know, the submissions usually start around September and they go till December. And then the festivals, usually the end of February, beginning of March, depending on, you know, what weekend it lands on, what year it lands on. And so we, uh, uh, so that's when I took it over was uh, 2017. Okay. And uh, I, to give you a, a little bit of perspective from my standpoint, I had heard about the LDS Film Festival. I think I heard about it in 2016. I don't know if you're familiar with a, old radio show with a radio show that we used to go on in spring city called life under the horseshoe. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I, I actually love that show. That was, isn't it sad that it was taken off the air? Oh yeah. That was a great time. We, in fact, Steph and I, we went to spring city recently. We have friends that live down there mm-hmm. and, and we would drive by the place where they did it, but we had seen the documentary ahead of time and, and uh, uh, went down there, kind of reminisced because I really thought that was fun. Uh, Spring City has a, I, I've been there numerous times over the years for one reason or another. And so it was really kind of fun to see this radio show that they did. And so, yeah, it was fun showing the documentary about it at the festival. I totally you might, remember. You might be interested that I interviewed the document, uh, the document maker, Matt Duhamel on the podcast going way back. Always. Is that right? Oh, I, I did. Great. Yeah. In but, fact, I went and saw the very last recording of Life Under the Horseshoe back in 2015. And I'm glad I did because uh, there hasn't been one since. And I, I, I've, you said that you've seen the radio show in person. Let me ask you this, and then we'll get back to the festival. Did you feel the spirit of the Lord at that show? Because I sure did. And I don't think I'm the only one who did. I, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't see, I didn't see it live. Okay. But I, I, but we drove by the place where they would do it. And, and uh, we just kind of a ghost. Cause this is only a couple of years ago we were down there and yeah, I, I agree with you. I do felt, feel the spirit of the Lord in all of spring city. Honestly, I really, I love spring city. We, what was ironic about spring city we went to stay with a friend down there and, and the, the house we stayed at 20 years before that, I'd helped a friend do a documentary about Joseph Benyon, uh, who was a potter down there in Spring City. And we were in the very same house that we filmed the documentary 20 years yeah. when I was a student at BYU. So it was kind of, I had no idea until I watched the documentary again and I thought, oh my gosh, we stayed at that house. And so, oh I loved, really? Mark I and Vicky there. Allen lived there. Lived there. Yeah, uh, it's actually. Let's see. Uh, Dave. Dave, uh, who 
who actually just passed away, uh, Tuttle, Tuttle Dave right. Tuttle, and uh, uh, Dave Tuttle and his wife, they have a little house there. It used to be Joseph, Joseph Benyon, uh, I guess, at one point lived there, and he did his pottery work in the little room in the back at Spring City. But yeah, it's kind a of a fun, cabin. fun little flashback there to know that uh, I was there long before and uh in this very same house so i love spring city we we love it yeah oh yeah i love so. that whole area of uh southern utah central utah there's definitely some very very special people there a lot of good patriots too but that's another subject yeah yeah i agree yeah <laughs> so. um yeah so that's that was my introduction to the film festival i may have heard about it before them but never put any stock in it i i honestly I think it was Mark and Vicki Allen that called me and told me that the uh, documentary would be showed. Now, I don't know if that documentary ever made it out of the film festival or what. I don't know whatever happened. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I don't either. I'm not sure what, I'm not sure where, where it went to because I wasn't running the festival at the time. I just remember, you know, being one of the judges and watching it and, uh, and, and getting a thrill over it, you know, thinking that was pretty cool. But uh, uh, I don't remember where they ended up going with that documentary after it was finished. So, yeah. So let's uh, let's go back to the origins of the film festival. According to what I've okay. read about it, as long as it was not offensive and LDS or focused on an LDS theme or something to that effect, you would be you basically got your film showed. When did that change, and what made it change, and what are the standards now? Well, it changed um, kind of when I took over. Um, I guess it became, I mean, Christian Christian was pretty picky, but I think it was an evolution. I don't think it was all at once, but, it, but the last three years specifically became, I, I got stronger and stronger with, with making a heavy decision when I took over that we were going to cut out not you know as much as we could and each year you know there'd be ones that i would think man i wish we could have not shown certain ones but we kind of had to because we only had so many submissions but the last three years and especially this last year we really cut out i would say per, uh, uh percentage wise in the past we would pretty much show everything like you said as long as it wasn't offensive mostly due to the fact that there wasn't a lot. But with the advent of the app known as Film Freeway, uh, Film Freeway is a great uh, website that uh, all, even, even Sundance uses, uh, all uh, places that you submit any film festivals to, that is like the place to go. That's like the Amazon of film festivals. And it, uh, when we did that, that really opened the door to allowing us to have people sign up from everywhere. And that actually allowed, uh, you know, people from all over the world. And so we would actually get submissions of many people who weren't just LDS. And, uh, and so that, it also meant we had to be stronger and tougher with what was <laughs> coming through because we were getting movies from India and- Oh, and, wow. Pakistan and you know they were they didn't even look at the label they just went oh LDS whatever that means let's put it in and 
and they put it in and, uh, and 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 sometimes you know occasionally we've had that special jewel of a movie that's from another country and and we've been able to show it whether it be a short film whether it be a feature film and uh I, you know i will have to say you know people who live in the middle east they have a lot of artists that are really struggling and they you know i would get many emails of people pleading to enter into the festival because they have a message to say but they couldn't afford the the you know the entry fee because of the issues with the foreign exchange and all that and so uh so that is just amazing to see what's out there in that kind of mode but as far as uh uh lds like this year we had uh we had several from LA and we had one from Africa, which is the heart of Africa. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're going to get into that later. Yeah, and we had uh, um, uh, several from Iowa City. We had uh, some from, I think we had one from Virginia. We had one from uh, New Mexico. No, yeah, New Mexico. Uh, filmmaker from there. Filmmaker we'd never heard of who we became good friends with, uh, who entered and, and would have never really known um, from, uh, uh, you know, from other cities, states. Uh, usually they would always just come from Utah, you know? And, uh, and that, with opening that door, we were able to be a lot more selective about what comes in. So how do I, if I were a filmmaker, would I have to go to the Film Freeway app and then you have a section on there if I want to go submit it to the LDS Film Festival? Yeah, you would just go to, you would just type in, you could do a search for the LDS. And what's great about Film Freeway is, uh, is you enter your film once and you can, and, and, and punch it into any of the festivals all around the world. And uh, in the, in the old days, you'd have to, go to their website uh, and uh, and then download their application and then you'd have to fill it out and then you'd have to send them a, a reel or a tape or a DVD. And uh, now you only have to do it once. Now you just have to load your film once and it becomes easy not only for the filmmaker to load, but it's also easier for the uh, film uh festival owners to judge and to organize and so we judge them right there on the on the film freeway site uh so it becomes oh. pretty so so i can just go to filmfreeway.com do a search on lds film festival upload yep. uh, fill out the application upload my film upload your film put all the information that we ask on there and then then that way we kind of can make a judgment from, you know, the type of film it is. And it, our submit submissions have usually begun around September. So this year, that's, it'll probably be that way again. We're the first of September. Then there's an early deadline and then there's a, um, a deadline, regular deadline. And then there's a late deadline. Okay. Now um, I assume that if someone's going to submit their film, into the LDS Film Festival, then it has to be somewhat LDS related. Am I correct? Some well, type of LDS. You know, the, the honest truth is, is, is it, it, it really doesn't. Uh, it just has to have, you know, you you want to you want to have some kind of theme in it that's redemptive, or you know, some kind of theme that LDS the LDS audience can uh, 
you know, link to, you know, I mean, that, that, that they can adapt to because it really ultimately becomes the LDS audience that watches it. Mm-hmm. And so, and so they, they're the ones that judge it and come to the theater and everything. But you really don't, you don't even have to be LDS to have the film. And we have quite a few that have entered uh, a couple of years. In fact, a couple of years ago, uh, one of my favorites is, uh, is a friend of ours named Kimber Eastwood. And Kimber Eastwood, ironically, is the daughter of Clint Eastwood. Oh, wow. And, and she is married into an LDS family, but she is not LDS, but she is Christian. And uh, she had a cute movie called True Calling. I think they've changed the name of it since they sure have. I just saw that changed on Facebook. Too. Yeah, and and but it originally was called True. Diary of a Lunatic. Yeah, Diary of a Lunatic. I think <laughs> is what they ended up naming it. Not and Diary a, of a Madman by Ozzy Osbourne. That's right. <laughs> that that great album, but yeah. it was a. Uh, um, <laughs> It was, yeah, Diary of a Lunatic, which originally was called True Calling. Her name is True, T-R-E-W. Uh, and it's basically kind of like, oh, God, yeah. but a modern day version of, of oh, God, if you mm-hmm. remember the George Burns film. And uh, where, you know, this woman is always talking to somebody and it happens to be God or an angel from, from heaven or something to that nature. And we showed it at the festival. And even though nobody in it was LDS whatsoever, it kind of fit the the bill and uh and we showed it and she came to the festival and we had a great time we had a, built a good relationship with her we still keep up with her and uh and that it was, was the a, same year as cokeville miracle came that's right cokeville miracle was uh, that's right i believe it was yeah. that same year that we it was premiered a wonderful year yeah that is a good movie yeah cokeville miracle we premiered that the year before i took over and uh and that was explosive. I mean, we had a we had a lot of people show up to that that festival that year, um, and so that was a good year. Yeah, but, that would uh, have been uh, 2015, wasn't it? That's when I saw the Cokeville Miracle in a theater, the Dollar yeah, Theater. Yeah, that's yep. right. And we uh, so the so the answer the long answer to that short question <laughs> is that you you don't the the we actually probably only have about one third of the movies actually have an LDS really theme in it most a lot of them don't aren't really lds themed anymore uh but they still come they're still there and uh and they still have their market and so that's the place to show it um but we have a lot that are just they just don't they don't have joseph smith in it or they don't have missionaries or you know they have a lot of other kind of topics that are you know might be spiritual in nature maybe or just like we had one called Prolonged Exposure, which was made by an LDS guy, but it was all about, um, uh, you know, a gentleman who is a therapist who helped people out after a traumatic accident uh, at a at an office. You know, it was. Uh, and who was that main character? Oh, yeah. And it, Dean Kane was actually yeah. in it. Yeah. Stephanie wanted to remind me. That's right. That Dean Kane was in the film. So we were like, we have to take this because Dean Kane's in it. And so from Superman, Superman, you know, and, uh, um, and so we were, you know, we took that and had a great experience with that. There was no LDS real themes in it. It was a totally different type of project. So that is an example of somebody who'd never heard of the LDS film festival yeah. before, but found us through film freeway. Yeah. He found us through film freeway. And it's, he flew in from 
from New Mexico. New Mexico. Yeah, to show wow. the film. So yeah, he had never heard of it, which was amazing. And we do have that identity crisis, but uh, we're, we're, we're not as well known as, you know, say Roots Tech or whatever, you know, we, <laughs> we kind of run our own little show, I guess. Well, well given the I... fact that uh, you don't have to necessarily be LDS, and it seems like it's, from my impression, reading about it and talking to you is, uh, it started out mostly LDS and now it's branched off. Do you think that you'll change the name of the film festival or will you just keep it the LDS Film Festival? Yeah, that's you, been a subject. Yeah, that's we've talked about that for years, and really, there was one point which we almost were going to change the name, and this this was the year we were going to do it. And then I kind of I kind of got cold feet and realized that my, you know, the sponsors that I have right now, um, we 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 would be almost afraid to make that change for the sake of we would just end up being a, a, a whole, just we'd be a random film festival. We'd just be another one. Cause there's, there's literally a hundred plus film festivals in the state of Utah alone. Really? And if we, if we were to change our name, we would just be another film festival, honestly. So oh, okay. we felt it was important just to maybe stick to our name for a while longer until some you know magical thing happened i mean if honestly if zion's bank came in and wanted to sponsor our festival and said yeah but you got to call it the zion's bank film festival i'd be like hey <laughs> you pay for the festival we'll we'll call it the zion's bank film festival <laughs> but but at this point in time it it serves that community so we just feel like that's where we're that's where our need is right now so well, now that the uh, scope has broadened, do you ever have dilemmas? Do you get a film that you might like, but it might be too offensive for the audience, or you might think so? Uh, or do you ever have those dilemmas that come up? Yeah. I mean, I think we, we've had a few movies where I have thought, you know, I, you know, this would be good to see, but I knew our audience wouldn't be. Yeah. It w wouldn't, wouldn't want to see it. And, and mm -hmm. so we would pull But just a few of those every year we will get a handful of movies that we, we have to turn down because we know that the audience will probably be offended. And, you know, and I'm LDS and I'm active and I, I get offended by things that, that offend my religion, so to speak. And I mean, I don't get so offended that I can't have a discussion about it, but I, but <laughs> yeah. I know that our audiences can be pretty persnickety. Sure. And so, we try to just avoid that topic half the time. And well, just... naturally, they desire to have a certain level of standard. Yeah. And the thing about the LDS Film Festival, like, like we've said, it's not directly LDS-driven. It's family-friendly. It's, it's value-driven, honestly. Yeah. So, And that's what we take pride in, is the fact that you're not going to be shocked by by what you see by going to these film festivals. It's not like going to Sundance and you have no idea without a rating because most of those films at Sundance, they have no rating Correct. because they're pre-rated. Right. And so, and so you go, you have, no, and I've been to Sundance a long time ago and I remember going, going, Oh, this looks good. And then you watch it and you're like, Holy cow, that's not what I thought I was watching. And, and that know, title threw me way off. Uh, yeah. It threw me way off. And, um, and so, but I do believe that we, we have an obligation to produce or to pr promote, I should say, and, and showcase films that are, that are good for our audience. 
and uh, and and know that as an audience that, in my opinion, is underserved uh, by Hollywood. And so it's our goal to just take our turn and and to serve, you know, by doing it. So yeah. I want to go back to some of the LDS films that have been uh, classics in the past. Get your mm-hmm. opinion of it. If you don't like them, be honest. If you did, be honest. <laughs> but let's go back. I think if we're going to talk about LDS films, which we will, I think we actually need to go back to Saturday's Warrior. Remember the play <laughs> on VHS in 1989? Yes. Oh, yeah. Now, I, I, I'm not going to lie. Uh, I kind of like the the uh, play, even though it's kind of dumb in some places, but uh, I kind of like it just because the music is very catchy. Mm-hmm. And there is something about a lot of the dialogue in that play that uh, pushes buttons of mine. Uh, what, 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 what was your opinion? I want to go back here because that's really when... LDS films took off. I know God's Army. We're going to talk about God's Army. I know people think God's Army did it. Well, yes, but Saturday's Warrior was really the first play slash movie on VHS that came out that was not produced by the church. Am I correct? That's my understanding. Yeah, I think on a on a feature level, uh, when you talk about a feature, you know, film that that is treated like a movie with a premiere and everything. Yeah, Saturday's Warrior could be deemed one of the earlier ones. I know that there were others since then. Let's see, that was in 90. In fact, I worked like one day. I was, I worked on that Saturday's Warrior uh, project. Oh, you at did? The, at the very end. I didn't even see any cast members. I, I worked, I was working at the old Osmond Studios where they, where they shot it and I cleaned up cable. That was one of my, I worked like a half a day just cleaning up the cable from this new thing that was shot. And I was still at BYU as a film student and, and I went over there and, and worked on it. So I, but I didn't really meet any of the cast members. So I didn't know what was coming until a year later when it came out on, on VHS. And uh, you're right. I do. I believe that that would have been one of the more earlier films, not made by the church done independently. And, uh, and and I think it was one of those things where it, it and it sold a lot because there was no competition. I mean, I think oh. they sold like a million. Well, maybe not a million, but I know it made you know probably a couple of million. I'm not sure what the t- final number ended up being by any means, but but it was it did yeah it was different because there was no competition. There was nothing to liken it unto, and uh, and so it it did well and. There was also throughout the '90s the feature films for families Ooh. movies. Oh, that's uh, right. Uh, yeah. On our own is the only one I remember. But yeah, you're yeah. right. On our on our own, and then there was uh, what was the TC did that one? It was one that I TC shot it. Oh, it was the Buttercream Gang. Oh, the Buttercream and Gang. And the that's Buttercream right. Gang. I think they did two movies. There's a sequel because my uncle who lives in Draper has a house where they shot the treehouse scene and uh, I almost worked on it but I was still a college student so I couldn't I couldn't go work I was going to work for TC Christensen and I was friends with him but I just couldn't take the job because I was still getting my degree and uh, 
and then there were other yeah there were a few others throughout the 90s and what they used to do in the 90s is they used to what they call four-walling theaters where they would rent a theater and they would pretty much just show the movie and uh so they pay the the fee to have the theater for two hours then they'd show the movie as if it were just a regular movie and then they would get uh, uh the profits from it uh no more baths that was another one no more mm. baths and uh so yeah they did the feature films for families did a whole series of those in the 90s uh you know pre god's army days um and i think uh yeah saturday's warrior was fun um no more baths was cute you know no more baths was a was a story made by through feature films for families that was about uh these kids who wanted a, a playground and or something something to the effect to where they protested by not taking baths That's, it was a cute concept you know and it was it was kind of fun you know and so so they were because some big mean evil company was going to come in and and uh take down their playground that's, that's right. what it was to build a new building office building or something you know is the rich man was bad and the kids are good and story you know type story but but yeah those were the days those are those are those days that none of them were really those weren't really lds at all but they were made by you know lds they were family films they were family films correct who made yeah. the blair witch project i remember that came out i think either during or before my mission so i didn't even know about it till i was on my mission in 2000 somebody told me about how great it was and how it was going to overtake hollywood and i thought yeah right there's so much money in <laughs> hollywood forget it you know, blair witch was made was actually shot uh i'm from i'm originally from virginia oh and and I have a friend who lives in Northern Virginia. I live now in, in uh, Southern Virginia. I lived in Richmond. And uh, oh, my right friend- Right by Washington, D.C. That's right, yeah, my dad was born in D.C. My dad was, uh, uh, was a D.C.ite and was there when Cleon Skousen, I think, was there. And, and Marriott was his state president, Willard J. Marriott. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and so he's, uh, uh, so we knew, and also Glade Knight, who owned Southern Virginia University? My dad and him were actually business partners in the. Did 70s. you know Orrin Hatch? No, we never oh. knew Orrin Hatch. So, but uh, but during that, that's where Blair Witch was shot. Was in Northern Virginia, uh, in a town up there. I can't remember which city it was. Um, but uh, and then they shot it for a mere, oh, let's see, like fifteen thousand bucks is what they shot it for <laughs> and it was it was the start of the um of the reality show looking they, there's a term for that kind of film where it's like a it's not a documentary and it's not a mockumentary but it's like a um, something documentary where it's not real and you and and what they did but was yeah what they did with blair witch was they showed it at sundance and uh and I don't think nobody was LDS in that by any means. In fact, it was it was pretty brutal film that I I'm aware of. But uh, but they did have these signs everywhere in uh, at Sundance that said missing, and it had the actors of their faces, and that was their poster was a missing sign. 
posted everywhere. You know, this is the late 90s, I think. And it really drew the buzz of who are these kids and where are they missing? And, and they showed the movie and, and really got people thinking that this was a real movie and realizing that it was going to end up being fake. And it made like a hundred million bucks. It did really well. And, well yeah. Uh, it was, I, it was an amazing marketing ploy, in my opinion. It was I, wonderful. I think there was a TV network that aired it. I can't remember who. I, I just remember asking my mom about it. I've never seen the movie, but uh, my mom did not like the movie for whatever reason, but a lot of people did. You're right. I remember there was a TV network that aired it, uh, I want to say sometime in April 2000 when I was up in Canada. Someone was channel surfing and found it and really liked it. Yeah, it was, it was uh, I mean, it was a pretty foul movie. I'm surprised it ended up on on tv but but you know maybe hbo or something like that but but uh yeah it was it was a little foul but there wasn't really anything gory about it it was just the fear you know it's the scary you know it's it yeah. bringing about the fear of man this could be real you know kind of feeling so well, well that was let's, good uh, i want to ask you a question that i want to go clear back to some other films and we'll, we'll we'll definitely talk about god's army and some of the current films out there but so let's go back to uh, maybe you're young, too young to remember this, but you may have seen it. Uh, let's go back to movies like The Mailbox, The Phone Call, uh, probably a bunch <laughs> of others. Uh, what was your oh, opinion oh, of oh, them? Oh. Those were. Those were in the snow. Well, here's what I know about it. I remember when I was uh, when I was 13 years old. I uh, it was 1980. And I took a road trip, or yeah, it was a road trip. We drove up to um, Utah. Uh, and at this point in my life, I was living in Texas now. We'd, we'd moved from Virginia to Texas in the 70s. And then in 1980, I had, we had a sister. I had a sister getting married up here in Utah. And so my parents drove us up, and uh, my uh, aunt sang in the Tabernacle Choir. And, uh, and so she invited us to a filming of something uh, where the choir was singing and they were making a movie and it was Jimmy Stewart. And so that's, that was, became Mr. Kruger's Christmas. Oh. And, uh, and so as a kid, they asked, they said, Hey, and by this time I was already wanting to make movies. So I, I already knew that's what I wanted to do. So I, I literally sat uh, while they had the camera aiming at the choir and Jimmy Stewart directing the choir, I sat literally right nearby uh, on the benches uh, where Jimmy Stewart was. And, wow. uh, and, then, and then there's a shot where, where they went outside of the Temple Square and they have these dancers dancing around a crowd and and a little girl comes and it's kind of a dream one of one of his dream sequences and uh you can see me at, it's really low res i don't think they ever high deft the the conversion on it but but uh, you can see a little tiny me in there in the background and from that i knew that that this was what i wanted to do i knew i wanted to, to be in film and i remember seeing the films like the phone call which is probably one of my favorites. Uh, yeah, it was stupid but funny, wasn't it? It was. I mean, if was, you, honestly, if you want a good laugh, you can watch the phone calls. <laughs> Dumb as it was, it was also funny. Well, you know what was interesting about those earlier movies is they would actually bring in Hollywood talent. I mean, really? um, Mark McClure 
was the lead in the phone call. He was the redhead, curly-headed, uh, goofy, nervous kid that went Scott? on to be. Yeah, he went on to be. Really? Uh, uh, what's the what's the Jimmy Olsen in the Superman series with uh, um, Christopher Reeve? And uh, so, yeah, he went on to be a big Hollywood actor. And uh, um, there were some others. There was somebody from MASH who I think was uh, was in a couple of the uh, I know he played like a home teacher. One of the actors from MASH was wow. uh, was was a home teacher in one of the early films you know back then um yeah they were some fun ones back then and even ruth and nathan hale who were the you know purveyors of the hale center theaters here in utah they made some movies uh they were from la and they actually made some in la and every year uh their two of their kids will come to the lds film festival and show old movies uh of of stuff they made with their parents like in the 60s and the 50s the 70s they've and, been faithful supporters of our lds film festival for yeah years. yeah they're the ruth and nathan hale have both passed away but but uh their their kids have continued to come and support the festival mm -hmm. um and so uh which we're honored to have them come but yeah those older movies those were hilarious i tell you they were they were fun to watch. Let me ask you this. Uh, I, I want to talk about the mailbox real quick because uh, oh, I have yeah. a story about that. Do you know who played Lethe, the old lady in that? I don't. Okay. Because I heard Lethe was supposedly somehow related to Richard Paul Evans or something way back. And I don't know how true this is. Yeah. I'd have to, I'd have to, I'd have to look that up and see. Would you watch it again? Yeah, I have to watch it again. That's what I'd have to do. <laughs> <laughs> that what's funny is at uh, at BY at the BYU Motion Picture Studio. Well, now it's called the LDS Motion Picture Studio, but at the time, uh, it 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 was the BYU Motion Picture Studio, the one in Provo. Uh, we uh, they used to have a student section there. There's a little house. They call it the Johnson House. And that's where uh, the students were allowed to make their movies. That's where I would go. And oh. that's, where, that's where they would, they had filmed the mailbox. They filmed it in that, near that little house uh, down there. And so we would always, you know, go back there. And it was an old house. I mean, they've since demolished it because it was, it had one of those heaters that was always blowing up in the middle of the night. And, uh, or it sounded like it was going to blow up the house <laughs> and uh and i'd be late at night editing there in the early eight in the mid 80s and and then you could hear this big whoom and it would be uh <laughs> it'd be the heater kicking on <laughs> and so what'd you but, have to uh, do wear noise cancellation headsets yeah i think so <laughs> yeah or, uh, uh, well, i was, have a story about the mailbox and i want to ask you something else and we'll get into the god's army and all these current films just bear with us okay. folks um so uh I saw the mailbox, it must have been in September of 85. Now I was five years old. And by the way, for those of you who are trying to calculate my age, I do turn 40 on the 11th of April. So there you go. Oh my goodness. Um, yep. <laughs> Anyhow. 
club. That's right. What's that? Welcome, Welcome to the 40s club. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, so I was five years old and I watched this. I'm not sure if it was a good idea to show it to us. I'm, I'm a blind person. I didn't know what was going on. I just remember feeling awfully sad. I couldn't understand why. The, well, first of all, the music at the very end is dramatic, where Lethe dies. They play that real dramatic music. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. And it yeah. just made me really sad. Well, the, I just remember going home that day, just feeling sad. And oddly enough, I don't remember what the dream was about, but I remember falling asleep on my kitchen floor. It must have been probably anywhere from five to seven at night. I fell asleep and woke up, and I just remember having a really sad dream <laughs> over something. So obviously that movie must have impacted me somehow. Yeah. And I had completely forgotten all about the movie since then until, believe it or not, I, we watched it in seventh grade English class. Now, my teacher was not a member of the church, but she was really good friends at, with it. Well, she, I don't think she's still a member, but she's really good friends with someone that is a member up in Boise, Idaho. And so we watched it, and I thought, how did you get this being an LDS church movie? And I remembered the movie very well when I was five. I completely forgot about it until the movie was going again my seventh grade year back in April of 94. And it occurred to me that, first of all, I thought, no wonder why I felt so sad, because I was able to understand it all, even not being able to see. There was enough dialogue. You didn't need to see to know what was going on in that film. Yeah. And number two, I, I thought later, oh, yeah, my reading teacher is good friends with this English teacher. That makes sense. It was really weird. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, I think Lethe is her real name. Is it? So, yeah, that's that's her real name. She's um, I found her name on here. Lethe uh, Tej. Okay. Uh, T-A-T-G-E. And she, uh, she was, wow, she was born in the 1800s, 1893. And she was, she was in her 80s, I think, when they shot the movie. She died when she was 92. Was it her? <laughs> was it Lethe herself in the movie? Uh, yeah, yeah, Lethe. Well, Lethe Anderson is. Yeah, but the, was she the real Lethe playing it, or was someone else playing it? I I don't know. It's it's uh it's it says that her. It says that her um, her name her screen name was Lethe Anderson, and her real name is Lethe Tage, something hmm. like that. So, and it looked like they did that to some of the other actors, like uh, the one who played Rachel. Uh, uh, let's see, Rachel Jacobs. No, let's see, one who played Rachel. Yeah, sure. Rachel Johnson. Her real name is Rachel Jacobs. So they just <laughs> changed the last names and kept their first names. So interesting. I wonder who Lethe was based on. I wonder who Lethe really. Yeah, that's an interesting. Yeah, I, that's an interesting topic. I'm curious as to. I don't have any more information on the film. I'm sure we could uh, we could find it, but yeah, that was an interesting uh, film. It's been so long since oh, yeah. I have seen it. Many years. Do you know what year but that came out? It was. I'm looking it up right now. It looks like it was '77. Is when oh, it that came. That long ago. Okay. Um, well, um, 
yeah, then there was Johnny Lingo, Uncle Ben, probably all came out around the same time. But yeah. do, do you think that those were a precursor to Richard Dutcher wanting to do God's Army because maybe he didn't like those films back then? Or what was the whole idea behind God's Army? Because that's really when, I mean, we can talk about these other movies and they're fun to talk about, but really... God's Army is what made LDS cinema popular. I mean, after all, Richard Dutcher is the godfather of LDS cinema. Well, that's a that's a good question, and I and I think here's here's what here's what I know. Uh, God's Army was was a um, was a storm waiting to happen. It was either going to be him or it was going to be somebody, and the reason being is because it was more the the market. It was more the technical, what God's Army did was God's Army actually answered the question of could uh, you make a film that had uh, members of the church depicted in it in a positive light and could you do it and make money and do it again? And that was, that's, that's the big question because the, you know, all these other films like Cypher in the Snow and others, uh, they, they've been films that were made by the church or, or they were related to some other, you know, organization and never, you know, Saturday's Warrior was the one, the VHS version was the one that was done that actually could make a profit. And I think when Richard came around to do God's Army, his was more on a sense of, I'm just telling a real story. I'm not trying to tell the Joseph Smith story or the, the, you know, the main, you know, film that everybody's familiar with, just a story about members of the church and their regular everyday struggles. And, and there's many, and because, and, and I think his biggest issue was that it, that it not only was it to be seen on a big screen, but it was in a positive light too. It wasn't negative because by the time, um, God's Army had come out, anything that had any kind of LDS mentions in, in pop culture, it was always negative. And uh, in fact, I think he, one of the films that he, uh, that he had mentioned uh, that not necessarily that he saw was a movie, and I, I'm, forgive me for m mentioning this movie, but it was oh, called... I think I know what you're talking about. Are you talking about... Well, uh, uh, let, let's just do a warning here, folks. If you've got yeah. kids around, let's... <laughs> five, four, three, two. By the way, turn this down for about two or three minutes. Five, four, three, two. Okay, <laughs> yes, here we go. Are you talking about the movie Orgasma? Orgasma. Orgasma. Or yeah, Orgasma yeah. was yep. a film, film made by the guys who did... Uh, um, Oh, Park uh, South Park, and uh, it was it was their pre South Park days, and it was basically about uh, a Mormon missionary who is a Mormon missionary by day, and I guess like a porn star or something at night, or a ladies' man of the night, or I don't know what it was, but it yeah. was yeah, yeah, they not... uh, become the way yeah they it's a elder and sister, and they became porn stars, and they were sent home. Yeah. And they came and back and fought crime. Yeah, I, I didn't see it, but I'd heard about it. Yeah, I, I haven't seen it either. And I think that was, but that had, that was in the middle 90s. 
and that was kind of at a point in which I think, you know, guys like Dutcher and others were kind of, you know, and me and myself as well, you know, we were kind of tired of it. You know, it was, you got kind of tired of, of that personally in my own world, you know, uh, what's his name? Gerald Mullen, who is an LDS producer and, and not only an LDS producer, but with Steven Spielberg, uh, was going around promoting, um, Schindler's list, which was about the atrocities of the Jews, which was, you know, a great film, an amazing film, but, but it was like, here's an LDS person with some power and, and, and forgetting that his own people actually have stories to tell as well. But there's mm -hmm. been, you know, so many stories about the Jews and their atrocities. Oh, I mean, how many movies have we seen? Not that I'm, I'm nagging on them because I think some of them are really good and the story has to be told, but we forget that we have our own people who were kicked out of the United States and, and uh, you know, a hundred and some years ago, and their relatives, their their relatives are still here, and uh, and and you know, Mormons have stories to tell just as well. And I think, like that's why I said God's army was just a a burst ready to happen uh, because Mormons wanted to kind of get in on it, and so it became a market thing. It became the market became just right to to be able to do it to financially pay for it and then to be able to make enough money to do it again. Yeah. So, I remember God's army came out when I was on my mission. I think it was sometime in February or March of 2000, wasn't it? Yeah. In fact, it was 20 years ago last week. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I was right. Uh, but even when I came home back in July, people were still talking about it. It was still out in the theaters. And yeah, played, I, I remember, Oh, what? Six months, I think. It played for a good six months in theaters. Yeah. And I remember my dad uh, had just read, or I think he went up to Eastern Idaho when I was on my mission for a business, and he saw it and told me and my brother that we should go see it. I never did. I saw it on YouTube years later. And then you had Brigham City, uh, uh, The Other Side of Heaven. But then we had these really weird shows that I personally had a disliking to. Uh, singles ward I thought was a very bad stereotype of LDS people and I couldn't even relate to it and I was in a singles ward at the time <laughs> I can I can understand that I think singles ward uh, probably a lot like Saturday's warrior singles ward kind of had its own audience uh, I would a lot of people liked it didn't they yeah I that's why I say I wouldn't deem it a bad movie by any means I think it's just a it's just a different movie, you know. It's kind of like a, you know, I mean, look at some of the comedies that we we accept today from Hollywood, uh, and and they're really not that much different than Singles Ward. It's just now you just replace certain things with LDS isms. Actually, I'm not going to lie. I thought the comedy scene in the movie Singles Ward was pretty funny, even yeah. though Cammy Giles had an issue with it. <laughs> so yeah and and you know and and but the th once again again it comes down for a filmmaker sadly mm -hmm. uh it comes down to market you know if you're going to spend uh money telling a story you've got to be able to you know raise the money convince the right amount of people raise that funds make the film 
sell it, market it, just like you were marketing a Hollywood movie, make enough money so you can go back and do it again. And that is probably one of the hardest things to do in the world, is very difficult. I think too many, too many film watchers who just sit by, it's kind of like arguing with uh, football players when they don't make the right plays and they get mad at them and say, oh, you dropped the ball again you know, at your favorite football team, and you don't know the pain they had to go through to try to hold on to that ball. And, uh, and if you talk to them, you'll, you'll know they tried very hard to hold on to that ball, but occasionally they drop it because of circumstances beyond their control. Same concept for filmmakers, where they try so hard to put films together, entertain everybody. It's, it's not a simple... Um, it's not a simple, what do you call it, like a puzzle. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not that easy to make a film and everybody likes it and we're going to do it again. You know, that's, it's very difficult, but there's a thrill to doing it. But it's, uh, <laughs> it's not that easy. So. Yeah, so a lot of these uh, movies were, uh, I guess you could say, lack of a better word, campy. I guess that could yeah. be a good word. Um, then something, I don't know, seems like something over the last few years happened. What happened? Because it seems like the movies I'm reading about, hearing about are more serious, maybe not so much of a God's Army tone, but they're more serious. And what happened? Well, uh, that's a good question. I think, I think the, the, the LDS cinema went in waves, you know, in, in 2000s, God's Army, Brigham City, and there were a few others. And then, of course, right after that became the comedies. And then, and then after that, it, it kind of died for a little, kind of was dead. And some people kind of called it dead on arrival. And, uh, and they thought that it was over. But then when you got into the 2010s, you started getting, uh, you know, T.C. Christensen kind of came in. And, uh, you know, he did, you know, 17 Miracles and um, Ephraim's Rescue and, and Cokeville Mirror, you know, so he came in with some really good, and TC, he's got a long history, longer than, you know, people consider like, um, let's see, his first film in LDS Cinema, I think was, uh, was um, 17 Miracles. I think that was the first one that he directed and we all got to know, you know. And that's the one about Brigham Young, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's actually about the pioneers. Okay, I've heard about it. I've never seen. Didn't that come out yeah. in two thousand sixteen? Uh, let's see, seventeen miracles came out further than that. It was it was probably right around oh, two thousand fourteen. Yeah, let's see. Uh, I'm going to look it up. Um, seems like it was more like two thousand and oh, there it is, two thousand eleven. Oh, way so, back. Okay. Yeah, so T.C. Um, yeah, so Christensen started coming out with movies like uh, yeah. 17 Miracles, and then what happened? And then, and then, uh, then more filmmakers kind of came back, and, and what he did was he kind of revived the genre with back, uh, once again, higher quality films, and that you can make them for a budget, and that you can profit, and that you can do it again. And a lot of it comes down to the system. You know, you got to be able to have that system in place. Like you got to be able to have a distributor. You got to have people who buy it. And TC kind of built his own brand. I mean, he kind of 
you know, he'd already been in the business for long, you know, 20 plus years before then. And so, uh, and like I said, I knew TC back in the early 90s. His brother was a student at BYU when I was at BYU in the late 80s and the early 90s. So I knew of TC long ago, but he, uh, uh, he was a director of photography for many years. And then it was, he didn't really start like directing these things till the turn of the century. And he, uh, um, or the turn of the millennium, I guess. But he, uh, yeah, so he kicked in. And then the other one that really kind of launched again was Saratov Approach. And that was. Oh, yes, one, that's the one about Russia, the missionaries yeah. in Russia. That was a good movie. The th- it was. And, and that was one that m- most people have loved. And what's been great, here's what's, here's what's interesting about Saratov Approach. And that is, it was made really, in a, it was made literally a lot less than what uh, TC spends on a movie. Um, and, and, you know, it was confined to quarters. And so there wasn't, you know, they didn't have to go to Russia to shoot the whole movie. Um, you know, they, they were able to just do a few scenes, you know, there and, uh, and save money and, and make a profit. And that was, that was, again, that was what it came down to. But, but now you're starting to see a wave of stories that you don't know of, we all know of the pioneers. We all know of Joseph Smith. We all know, you know, the translation of the Book of Mormon, but we don't know these side stories. And Saratov, no, we approach, don't. Yeah, Saratov approach is one of those perfect ones that it was in the news, you know, a little bit here and there, but it wasn't real well known until the movie came out. Then you really—that's what Cokeville Miracle was. You know, Cokeville Miracle was again a story about members of the church, but not about them going to church. It was about their lives. And, and in some cases, you know, newsworthy items, you know, interesting stories of faith that uh, people have just been hungry for. And uh, that's what you're seeing now. Now there's still, that's kind of what's being produced now. Um, so a heart of Africa is, which I know we'll, we'll be talking about in a minute, but very similar. Let's talk about this year's festival, and then I okay. want to get into maybe your predictions of uh, Aldea Cinema, where it's going. Does it still have a future? Um, I went to the cinema for one reason this year, or the festival, for one reason this year. I wanted to see a more perfect union, and that uh. was really good, and we can talk about that if you want. That was really good, and uh, I'm actually surprised it didn't receive an award, but we'll talk about that later. Um, yeah. But it was really good, and I just really had nothing to do. Someone who let me in the film festival for free. I don't know who it was, but it was very nice of her, because I had every intention on paying, but I showed up barely, just barely before the film started, um, because I took the bus, and I had to... I thought I knew how to get over there, but apparently I didn't. I had to have an agent help me get over there remotely, uh, which is another story, but I I finally made it. and. I got in there. I said, "I'm not going. I may not. You may not be able to let me in. In this is." And she said, oh, "I'll just pay for you, and you just come in. I'll get it on my account." I kid you not. About three seconds after I sat down, the movie started. It was as though they were waiting for me or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad we had it ready for you. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
but then I just, I, the person who was there offered me a sandwich, which was really good. And I just, all these people started coming up to me and talking to me, Stephanie, that's kind of how I met you. I, I was walking around. I met, uh, you know, April Frampton. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm actually glad that I started talking to you because I've been trying to figure out how to get more people on the podcast. And I had an epiphany, just go out and meet these people that you want to get on. I now won't be able to do that since I'm moving to Montana, but I, I'm sure I'll be back at some point. And I just had this epiphany. You're not big enough like Richie T and the Cultural Hall and some of these other podcasts. You've got to go out and physically meet these people. And I did. Um, That's it was a pleasure to meet you. I, I was definitely drawn to you. Um, oh, good. I, I was in the foyer talking with some of our friends. We just finished up. Um, I think it was Finding Grace. Oh, that's right. With uh, Stacy and uh, Warren. Warren. Yeah. Yep. And that's a couple who came together and brought their movie to us from Florida. Yeah, another example of out, out of the state. So Yeah, with a good Christian message that's not necessarily LDS. Yeah, yeah let's talk about that. Uh, that's a perfect segue into current films. Uh, what was that movie about? I heard that it was really good. It was, uh, it was about a girl, a teenage girl, that was uh, constantly getting into trouble and her uh she ended up being on a think, community service yeah community she had to do community service <clears throat> uh, and end up working in a rest home uh and it changed her life you know and and what what made it what what made it a little familiar was the actors the two main actors mm -hmm. uh jason wade who had been in other lds films like 17 miracles and others and then uh, Paris Warner, who was in uh, Once I Was a Beehive. And so they were, they were and both. not Cinderella's type. And not Cinderella's type, correct, which was another one we showed a couple of years ago. And so, the, you know, she so had a couple of familiar LDS actors. I don't think Paris is LDS at all, but Jason mm -hmm. is. Right. And, uh, but, uh, and. But they shot it as a Christian movie, even though I think you have a bishop in there. But it's very, it's fairly vague, and uh, and so they they try to keep it to a Christian level so that the faith based community can accept it. Mm -hmm. And then they put in Aaron. Uh, oh goodness, I forgot her last name. But Aaron, uh, Aaron was a woman. I forgot her last name. I know I'm going to kick myself here, but Aaron uh, was in. The old um, Buck Rogers TV show, not the old old one, but the one from the '80s, and uh, and I remember her because she was really hot then. I thought she was really <laughs> cute, and so so Buck Rogers of the 25th century. I think it was around 1980, 81 when that TV show came on, and so she's a Hollywood actress, Erin. Yeah. And so if I could just remember her last name. But Erin was uh, in the film. She had a quick role in there. She's been, I think she's, she's born again. She's the judge, right? Yeah, she's the judge. And she's, she's. Um, I know she's, she has, she's of some faith of some type. And, and so I think I've seen her in a few other faith-based movies, like a lot of these people who have been, you know, been in. And so she was in the film. And so, yeah, we showed, we saw the film. 
a few months before the festival and offered to show it at the festival. And uh, they're from Florida. They're new filmmakers. And he, he, he works as a screenwriter, but he's never done anything with the LDS community. So this was kind of his first realm. And once again, somebody who's not necessarily in our circle, who's now part of our circle, so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, who knows, who's getting to know everybody in the LDS film world. So that was a neat experience. I would like to know, because you were there uh, for an awards program, weren't you? Yeah, I want to get into that a little bit later. You want to know what I thought about it? Yes. I would okay, love yeah, let, let's get into that later, but I definitely will. I'll answer your question, though. Um, sure. Let's talk about uh, the heart of Africa. That was a good okay. one. Uh, I didn't see it, but I heard about it. In fact, uh, Richie T interviewed. Um, well, you were on Richie T's podcast, weren't you, Kels? Uh, you know, I may have been. Yeah, yeah for 10 minutes. I, yeah, I think so, for a short the while. The cultural hall. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, so. Yeah, the heart of Africa, that was a good one. That'd be worth seeing. Uh, two missionaries, very different cultures, hated Definitely. each other at first mm-hmm. because of preconceived notions, and then they got to really like each other. Uh, in fact, uh, we got a convert out of that, didn't we? Yeah. Um, in real life, that, he converted. Yeah, it was an amazing story. And the other thing that was amazing from it as well was uh, filmmaking in the Congo because they, yeah. don't make, they don't make films. They don't show films. They have no theaters in the Congo. And when they show, when they show movies, they have to wheel an old-fashioned TV and a VHS player in, and they, you know, wait till nighttime and they show movies. And that's about, that's about how they do it. So making movies in the Congo was like, never heard of so in a way this was kind of like this was kind of the first movie made by uh congo by those who live in the congo congolese you know they they were uh um and i don't know the culture very well at all except for what i've seen and heard from them but um you know they didn't know much about how to operate equipment but they did it you know they shot they were the ones that shot the film with a little bit of help, I know from from some people. I don't I don't know the percentage of who was American and who was from the Congo, but I know that at least the actor was from the Congo, and and the Youngs um, are missionaries there. But I didn't know. I don't know what their technical prowess is. Yeah. So for them to actually get it shot and get in the can was a miracle. From That's what we Margaret understand. Margaret Blair Young and her husband is it Blaine. I think so. Blaine Young. So, yeah. Okay. So they were, they were, they were awesome. So they were missionaries there. They gave their and, all uh, to make that film yeah. come to life. And they they helped uh, chauffeur, uh, who was the director, uh, make the film, and so, so that was a neat experience. Uh, we were so honored that we got to show it before it actually went out in the theaters. So. Well, uh, let's talk about The Fighting Preacher, and then I'll answer your question, Stephanie, about the awards, because uh, I do okay. have opinions about that. Um, Fighting Preacher, that was a good one. Again, I didn't see it, but I heard about it. The two, let's see. Uh, oh, John, no, who was it? Dean, do, uh, Dean, Willard Dean, that's right. Willard Dean. Willard, Willard Bean. Bean. Oh, Willard Bean, okay. 
Willard Bean, yeah. Yeah, and uh, he was a boxer. I didn't know that. And then his wife went to Palmyra, New York in 1915. The first missionaries to be there ever since uh, the Saints left Palmyra. That would be, that sounds like it was a real roller coaster ride for them. Yeah. Or as was, uh, being a missionary and all. He was, uh, he was, in a, it was an amazing story. He was, yeah, he, he moved there. He was like 40 something. And, and he, uh, and she was in her twenties. He was, she was actually his second wife. Oh and, yeah, uh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Cause he, that's right. He he had divorced his first wife, yep. but not long after he divorced her, she passed away. And uh, um, I, at the top of my head, I can't remember how, but but the point is, is that that they, yeah, he came. Well, and one of his mission, his five year mission, went to almost twenty five, which was the longest mission in history of the church of the modern day church. And, uh, and he served, he was there for five years, but then just kept working and working and working and they never released him. And his mission was to do things like die the hill Kimura and to, but the first mission was to make friends, you know, was to get to know them and let them know that he needed to, that, you know, we're, we're members of the church and we're here to stay, even though at, in 1915, uh, hatred toward the church was still a little physical you know today it's more verbal but back then it was it was kind of at the at the end of it you know being physical and so it took a boxer like Willard Bean who was actually a champion he was a middleweight a champion uh and he uh um he was kind of half retired by this he was kind of retired by this time but before then, he was he was he served like a you know bodyguard to, you know certain church leaders and you know so he was he was good at what he did, he was not afraid, and and it took somebody like him to actually have to come to Palmyra, to kind of calm down the, the uh, uh, the hatred I guess, and then through the family to show show the love. Well, remember that it was still legal to kill a Mormon. Yeah, it was still, but that was in this. That's in the state of Missouri. That wasn't in, in New York, but but it but they were. But the Mormons were definitely hated. They were still, they were still hated by yeah by everybody. And you get yeah. that by watching his story. Yeah, yeah, I'm so. sure that there were people around still in 1915, even when the Saints left. Or I'm, I'm sure maybe some people were still around in 1915 that were there when the Saints left in the 1800s. Certainly, their kids heard about it, so I'm sure that there were preconceived notions, sure. Yeah, yeah, they did. They was, yeah, so it was about 85 years from the time Joseph had left till the time Willard Bean had shown up. And, uh, and I, I had an interest in that story because, um, I do a TV show that we, that used to be aired called Hidden in the Heartland. And one of the stories is, and I don't want to divert too much into this because we're talking about the festival here, but. Is that the, that's on BYU TV, isn't it? I think I've heard that. No, it'd never be on BYU TV. (laughs) I've heard that somewhere. Carry on. It was on, it was on, uh, um. Jazz uh, at the time, uh, a few years back. And you can and, currently uh, find it on Amazon Prime. Yeah, you can find it on, on Living Scriptures and Amazon Prime right now. But oh. in the, 
it's a Book of Mormon evidence TV show. And, and one of the, the discussions is the Hill Cumorah and what was found in the Hill Cumorah, you know, early on in the days of Joseph, you know, was, was there artifacts? And so Willard Bean was a big proponent of the Hill Cumorah being where the Nephites actually gathered because, you know, BYU right now with all their study of, of the Book of Mormon in Central America, they actually don't necessarily believe in, in uh, Central America being, or the Hill Cumorah being the actual Hill Cumorah where the battles took place. And uh, like I said, that's for a whole nother podcast, <laughs> mm-hmm. but, but the Willard Bean story is part of it because Willard Bean was was there he was the first mormon to show up you know after the 85 years that that uh, joseph smith was kicked out pretty much so yeah his story is amazing as and and uh, uh tc christensen did a phenomenal job uh directing that movie i'd say some most people will think that's one of his better movies so yeah um okay now to your question stephanie <laughs> yes, it's about time. <laughs> I'll admit, I was very skeptical about going to the award show. I made you, you come. <laughs> what's that? I made you come. Yes. And <laughs> just so you know, I'm very pop cultural, very pop culture illiterate. Uh, you may or may not know that by this podcast. I don't know. I'm very pop culture illiterate. I know somewhat about LDS sentiment because I am LDS and I read a lot of information and things come up about LDS cinema sometimes. Mm-hmm. But outside of that, I'm very pop culture illiterate. So I thought it was just going to be a stupid little award show where people would get up there and try to act real funny and do some stupid things or make some dumb comment like at the Oscars. None of that. I was actually, it was an hour long. That's all it needed to be. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you designed that. Yeah. Um, oh, that's all oh, it yeah. needed to be. And, like oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> I don't like long award shows myself. So. Yeah. And <laughs> it ended at the right time. The people gave, what, one or two liners about their movie? I was impressed, honestly. I was surprisingly impressed. Well, thank you very much. Very we, happy to hear that. But, and it's usually, you know, I and I, I pretty, I'm in the backstage, you know, like trying to get people to come and go, and 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 I get nervous because I don't like live stuff. I mean, I'm a filmmaker by trade, and so so to do, I like a second take of things. But when you're doing live stuff, it's like, oh, I hate. That's why. I, <laughs> When I go to like a TV station to go talk about the festival or talk about something at a TV station, I get nervous because I don't like being around live stuff. I, I like to, you know, take our time and get it done right. And, and live stuff, when you do a live show, like a, an award show, you know, you want it to move. And, and sometimes there are moments where it's like it's not moving uh, or there's a mistake or there's a technical glitch or something. And we had a few of those. But for the most part, we try to make it just like we're amongst friends. And, and that's the way we, we try to do it because we've already had a long week of watching movies and, and all that. And so we try to make the, the award show pleasant and to the point 
and and our joke is always that we're all looking forward to going to IHOP afterwards. So, <laughs> so in this thing, so I can we can go to IHOP. But anyway. well, it's a time for us to be able to gather together and to really celebrate the achievements yeah. of our friends. I mean, they have put their blood, sweat, and tears into this, and Absolutely. some have put their own homes on mortgage to pay for this yeah. opportunity. And we really appreciate them bringing that sacrifice to share with us. Um, another really big thing about the festival is that it gives them the opportunity to network in ways that they wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah. We've seen some really amazing success stories come about where somebody met somebody at the film festival who gave them the next opportunity to open up their gifts and their talents and to learn from them. And now they've come back with something that has touched hearts and we love being part of that. Yeah. Yeah. The LDS film festival also allows our public to be able to see these actors and actresses that have been a part of their heart because they've watched their story. Now they have the opportunity to have a picture with them, which is, I'm a big component of <laughs> picture taking, okay. capturing those moments that would be gone otherwise. That's right. And they get to maybe have a signed poster by them. Yeah. Well, let me tell you about uh, what I would like to see a movie of, some movies I'd like to see coming out. Yeah, maybe they will, maybe they won't. I'd like somebody to do a movie about Mark Hoffman. Now, there is a documentary being produced out there. Maybe you can, maybe that person can submit it to the film festival. Yeah, it's, uh, there's one being done by uh, Tyler Meesom. Yes. And, uh, and oh, uh, Jared Hess, uh -huh. and uh, who did Napoleon Dynamite. And, uh, and he's, they're working together, I think, on this. Um, I think it's more Tyler's movie than it is Jared's movie. I'm not sure. I don't, I can't speak for them at all, but, but I know both of them. And, uh, so yeah, it, and it's, it'll be interesting to see what they, what they come up with. I've seen a few little, uh, like writings, you know, as they've tried to raise their money, they had a Kickstarter campaign and they had some information on it. And, uh, so yeah, Mark Hoffman would be an interesting dramatic film and, I've always wanted to see something on, say, the three Nephites. You know, that would be kind of a fun. Oh, yeah. You know, even if it was fictitious, three. three yeah, even if it, exactly. it wouldn't even have to be the three Nephites, it's three people intervening at certain times. That'd be interesting. Yeah, wouldn't it? I mean, that would be almost like a, um, oh, what's that show? Uh, Highway to Heaven or, you know, Quantum Leap, Quantum Leap or <laughs> one of these yeah. types of, you know, kind of mystical films where you can create or even a series you know because series are popular right now people doing mm -hmm. series online and and uh you know that's kind of where everything's going and um well, yeah uh do you think tyler neeson will submit his documentary to the film festival once it's done well i i'd it be curious on the rating. <laughs> you know i i know yeah i know that tyler tyler's not necessarily I mean, I love Tyler as a guy. I think he's a really good filmmaker. I don't know if he's very friendly towards the church. Um, I don't either. Know, he's not. He's left the church a long time ago. And and I would see Tyler in various places here and there. And and he always kind of was proud of the fact that he was not a member of the church. So, so I don't, I mean, I think he's a return missionary, but I think he also 
left and and was like I said very early on very proud of that idea so so what when he's doing this documentary i don't know what direction he'll take maybe it'll be positive toward the church who knows i i have no idea um but uh i'm not sure what what his take will be and i and whether he enters it in or not i i that's hard to say <laughs> By the way, uh, just for those of you that are listening, I did interview Brent Ashworth, who had dealings with Mark Hoffman. That was a that was a great interview too. I actually listened to it, and it oh, was, you liked it? Yeah, it was really good. I was glad that you. We've met uh, Brent a few times over 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 the years, and I remember that whole story as a kid. Uh, okay, so I have to ask you. I'll be a little self indulgent. What did you like about that podcast? Uh, I liked uh, getting into the um, the nitty gritty. Um, the only th- at first, at first, you guys didn't talk about what happened. You just dived right into Mark Hoffman, and then you stopped and you said, uh, "For those of you who don't know, we're you know this is Mark Hoffman. This is the story, and it was good because you clarified it. And it, and but I was just enjoying it because I knew all about it, and it was great to hear." Brent's words as well, you know, and that's, that was kind of reassuring was to hear his, his freedom of being able to just talk about it and, you know, his take on it. You know, that could have been an extremely traumatic experience for him. And Brent would be very validated to shut down and not talk about it. Yeah. 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 But it, you know, and that's what made it really good was yep. that he was able to just open up about it. Uh, yeah. Uh, another movie. New things. Oh, what's that? I'm sorry. I said I enjoyed learning new things, new information that I hadn't known about. Uh, let me bring up an instance. Yeah. Anyway. Um, um, yeah. So. Yeah, it was enjoyable. Um, one movie I'd like to see, although. I know it would be controversial, and then we'll segue into the future of the LDS Film Festival because this will be a perfect segue. Um, I would like to see somebody do a movie about Cliven Bundy and his run-in with the feds in Bunkerville. Now, I've met Cliven in person. In fact, I interviewed Ammon, his son. But the movie would have to be very objective. Unfortunately, there's a lot of opinions about the Bundy family. And it'd have to be a very objective movie. But I would also like to see the spiritual component because I can tell you there was a spiritual component to this whole entire thing, even though it was a standoff, even though it was this and that and whatever. uh, There was a spiritual component. I remember watching the siege in Burns, Oregon at the Malheur Refuge. And believe it or not, I actually felt the spirit very strongly at the end of the standoff, believe it or not. And so I'd like to see somebody get into the spiritual and all sides be as objective as possible. It'd take a certain person to do that. The reason I bring up the spiritual component, because I know people personally who were involved in that whole thing, both in Bunkerville and in Burns, and there was definitely a spiritual component. And I've met Cliven personally, went to his house, and had lunch at his house, went on the Bundy Ranch, and they are very spiritual people, regardless of what you might think about them. So I'd really like to see a movie of someone uh, doing a movie about Bunkerville and Burns. 
Yeah, I think I agree with you. I think that would be a really fascinating story. And that's actually that's actually the kind of stories I think the market is looking for right now because that's, you know, a lot like Saratov approach where it's a modern day or current day um, story with members of the church in it and, and a certain news aspect to it is what I think people, you know, enjoy uh, watching because then they get to, you know, they get to see their own kind, so to speak, in a modern day peril. And, uh, and yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Um, you know, I wanted Let's, to make, Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I was going to make one note about uh, a more perfect union. Oh, go uh, ahead. The re you asked, you were about to ask whether, why it didn't get an award. Oh yeah. And the reason why it didn't get an award is because it's 30 years old. Oh. And, uh, and so we were, we were pretty much giving awards more to the current day films and not to the, uh, past movies and so we have a tendency to try to like god's army that wasn't up for an award or anything even though it probably would have won an award but you know we ended up giving an award to richard dutcher uh for uh a pioneering award for you know starting the this wave of lds cinema but we showed we showed a more perfect union more as a as an homage to its 30th anniversary of when it was made and so anyway that was just okay. to answer that question. But, uh, well, let's talk about uh, indie films, and then we'll get to the future of the LDS Film Festival. Actually, before we get there, though, let's talk about Richard Dutcher. Okay. Uh, because you brought up Tyler, Neus Tyler Neesom, who left the church. It seems like, even though, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, even though Richard Dutcher has left the church, he seems to be pretty friendly towards the church still. Am I correct? Yeah, I would think so. Uh, I think maybe he might have gone through, um, like there might have been a point there where he did not like the church uh, as far as like like he didn't want anything to do with it again. Um, I, I can't speak for him, but I know that, that right now, you know, I've only gotten to know Richard the last couple of years. He, he came to the LDS Film Festival Two, well, now now going on three years ago, uh, but he came the first time I took it over, and he got a booth, and he, and he was selling his movies there, and we were kind of surprised to see him there, and he came with another gentleman who was helping him out, and I spent a lot of time with Richard, and, and I said, well, it's, it's great to have you here, and I told the staff, my staff, I said, just love him, you know, just have a good time. And, mm -hmm. and there were, there was one or two people that were like, what's he doing here? And we were just like, why not? He's, why not? You know, he's, yeah. this is where he should be. <laughs> we exactly. enjoy that he's here. You know, this is, this is his, he kind of started a lot of why we're here. And so he, he has every right, if anything more of a right to be there than anybody else. And so, uh, so I've tried really hard to give him that that uh, that place to be, you know, where he's comfortable. And I think he really had a good time. Mm -hmm. I know that uh, numerous times we had, you know, we have panel discussions. And uh, in those discussions, we it allowed him to speak. And he considers himself, I think, more of a Christian than he is LDS. But every, but once in a while when he would speak about the LDS people, he would he would refer to them as us. And so you know that that's kind of still ingrained in him a little bit. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
Um, but I think he's still friendly towards the church. And I think his, his uh, insight at the festival this year was very invaluable. Yes. And uh, we were glad to have him there. Mm -hmm. Mostly also because as LDS filmmakers, we're trying to, one of our panel discussions was all about uh, um, adapting to the Christian market. Because yep. the Christian market is hot right now. And we need to know what they're doing to be hot so that we can, you know, join with them. And uh, I know, you know, Christians sometimes don't buy LDS stuff, but you'd be surprised. You would actually, you know, there, there there's some crossover that exists. And I was going to you know, ask you that. I wonder, let's say, how many non-LDS people liked or bought? I don't know where you could buy it outside of the LDS community, but maybe somebody did. Obviously, my English teacher, who was not and probably still isn't LDS, knew about the phone call. And do, you, do you know if there's any non-LDS people that saw a lot of those old movies and liked them? Or I've wondered that on occasion. Yeah, I don't know. That's a that's. I don't think there's any real. I don't think there's any real like you know Richter scale to tell, you know how that uh, <laughs> whether that ever happened or not. I can I can tell you one example that I had. Um, I directed a movie called Handcart, and uh, and it came out in 2002. And uh, I made the film, and then after I made the film, I went to went to Virginia, and to live for a couple of years while I was working for Southern Virginia University. And uh, and I took an, a a side job at Office Depot. And while I was at Office Depot, the manager of Office Depot, who was a Christian asked what my you know to get my credentials to get my job there he he asked what i did and i said well i'm actually a filmmaker uh and then i'd even mentioned that i actually had a movie play in the movie theater and he was like oh you know i said it wasn't very big by any means but so i gave him a cut I, I he said let me see your movie and i said well it's kind of mormony <laughs> and uh and he's like oh i don't care and so i gave it to him and then like a few days later he showed up at work quoting lines from my movie. And I was mm -hmm. like, wow. He goes, I really loved it. I said, you mean the Mormon aspect didn't bother you? And he was like, well, why would it? It's history. It's just, you know, it's about the pioneer, these pioneers. And I didn't know they got kicked out of the United States and all this kind of stuff. And, mm -hmm. and he, he loved it and he bought more copies from me. And it was kind of proof to me that it didn't matter that, it, you know, we have this, as LDS filmmakers, we have this stigma, I guess, where we're afraid to talk about who we are. Every, I can't count how many LDS filmmakers, when they talk about their project, and I'm guilty of it too, where they say, yeah, I've got a movie. It's, it's not very LDS. It, it's kind of LDS, but it's, you know, it's almost like, and I jokingly say, it's almost like saying, well, it's kind of pornographic, but it's not real pornographic. You know, it's almost <laughs> like this, this kind of this kind of uh, ickiness that people think that if you make it too LDS, that it's not going to be very it's good. Be good. Yeah, no. and it's and and you know, I think that's kind of a challenge where I'm like, oh, really? Okay, well, let's see what what is and what isn't, and and so yeah, so we're we're trying really hard to just say, look, we're we have the same struggles that Christians do as well. We, we have Absolutely. some of the, a lot of the same issues and we should be able to bond together mm -hmm. with, you know, last year uh, I brought in a guy named Dallas Jenkins. 
in fact, um, I went lived in Arkansas, and I used to attend Sunday night Baptist services. I th I know that they wanted to convert me. That's another story we'll get into <laughs> at a later time. But yeah, uh, I found, and this was not a surprise. I've known other Christians my whole uh, ever since probably I was about seventeen, sixteen. But uh, these Baptists that I was friends with in Arkansas, still talk to them today, live uh -huh. the exact same standards we do. We They may not believe in the Book of Mormon. They think the Bible's the only word and you don't add or take away. But gosh, they don't drink. They don't smoke. They don't swear. In fact, uh, the first church service I went to with these people, their six-year-old son, who was six at the time, made some kind of smart comment after church and we were getting into the car and he said, son, we don't speak like that. Okay. And I thought, well, yeah, that's exactly what my parents would have told me when I was a kid. So they don't live that much. They don't live any different than us. Uh, as far as I know, yeah. other than maybe some might be coffee drinkers, tea drinkers. Uh, other than that, they live the exact same standards we do. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, yeah, growing up in the South, I mean, that's, you know, I was, when we grew, when I moved to Texas, we were minorities in both religion and race mm -hmm. <laughs> in South Texas. And, and, but it was, yeah, you'd be surprised how many of them just, they have the same stuff and, and you just, you, you, you the same struggles. And I think that's where, you know, I think one day, and maybe that eases into the future here. Yeah, let, yeah, good, good idea. Let's get, yeah, let's segue into that. Yeah, and that is that that I think one day there'll be there'll be somebody, and I think a few LDS people have almost done it, but there'll be that one LDS movie that that kind of crosses over, that will allow you know kind of like for us with, uh, you know, courageous, courage, yeah, fi fighting. Uh, Firefight. Fire. Facing the Giants. There we go. Yeah, Facing the Giants. Fireproof. There's too many movies that start with an F. <laughs> <laughs> Fighting Preacher. No, Facing the Giants, made by the Kendrick brothers, down, you know, who are, you know, from the Sherwood Baptist Church. Uh, Fighting. Uh, Fireproof. Fireproof is another one. Courageous. You know, they've gotten really good at their War movies. Room over the years and we buy them you know as mormons yeah. we'll buy their movies i mean you know on facebook they'll they'll have this uh scene from facing the giants called called the death crawl and people will play that movie because it's the struggle you know where where alex kendrick plays this coach and of this losing team and he's trying to crack them into into being a better team but bringing God into it. And, and he teaches this one kid to do the death crawl uh, where he crawls from one side of the, of the field to the other. Uh, and, uh, and it becomes very difficult for him, but he makes it. It's very emotional. And people will use that as a, as a go get them, you know, feel good kind of scene. And it doesn't matter really what faith you are, but, but it was a faith based movie, you know, and, and and we should be able to say that we're all on the same page when it comes to the challenges of the world. I think you're going to see that one future movie that comes out and and uh, that will cross over and will do good not only financially but spiritually. 
and then there'll be people, then it'll take LDS cinema to another level. And, uh, well, this gets into a topic that I want to get into. Do you, are there, do you think that there are a lot of people dismayed at Hollywood? And I don't mean from a moral perspective, although we could certainly go down that road if you want. Yeah. I'm talking how, you know, I get annoyed with my brother, for example, because he wants to see every Star Wars movie out there. I'm thinking, <laughs> why? How many Star Wars movies does there need to be? How many remakes of a movie? Oh, because it's entertainment. Well, okay, but are we learning anything from it? Are we ganging anything? I personally, when I want when I watch a movie, I want a movie with substance, um, which is why some of these LDS films for lack of a better word, kind of stick out to me as I'm noticing some of them have a lot of substance, have a lot of dialogue. I'll be honest, I hate going to the theaters anymore. Yeah. Because it seems like I'm in an adult daycare center. My intelligence is insulted. You know, it's like, oh, let's uh, let's entertain these adults for as long as we can and go ahead and buy your popcorn, your candy. We're going to treat it like a little day, a, a two or three hour daycare center. Where 20 minutes is full of trailers. I don't go, I rarely, I haven't been to a regular <laughs> movie theater since 2019, 2018. I don't care to either. Do you, yeah. Are there people like me out there? Or am I the only one? I think you're the only one. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, no, I, I like the theater. I like the theater experience and I think it has its place. Um, but I do believe. And this is kind of a, this is an interesting discussion. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I, I connect with a friend of a new friend of mine who I've made, who does uh, theatrical distribution, uh, uh, independent theatrical distribution. And what I mean is they're movies that are not made by Marvel or Disney or any of these big ones. They're independent films that are not made by any of the big studios. And, uh, and so he does independent distribution, but it's not LDS, it's just regular independent film. And as we're currently going through the, this coronavirus situation where we're all having to sit at, stay at home now, um, I think um, he, brought, he brought up a good point in a, in a uh, podcast he did recently where he said that the market and I've always felt this might happen, and that is the market's going to get oversaturated. It's going to get to a point to where there's only so many Star Wars and Marvel movies that can be made before we all say, okay, enough is enough, and, and because it's a money game. And, uh, you know, when you're doing these huge blockbuster movies where they have all kinds of money to be able to tell a story that we never have, I think I think uh, as we, be, you know, our country entered into a financial uh, problem that we're about to get into, you know, the American spirit is always to find a way to solve these problems, and and there'll always be that those few individuals that turn around and find a better answer for it. And I think, you know, you're going to see a lot of these big movies uh, slow down being made. Um, even though they have plans for a bunch of them with, with hundreds of millions of dollars. And, and eventually that, uh, that market will have to break and it'll have to be to where you do get fueled with these smaller independent movies 
and and because you have to be able to break even differently. And so I think it, it comes through the intuition of these American filmmakers. And in our case, LDS filmmaker, I mean, there's hardly an, an LDS film that's made for more than a half a million bucks. I mean, they just, they can't spend a lot because they don't. And they're good it. too. Yeah. And they're, they're, you know, they're, they're better made because they're more made with the heart. They mm-hmm. can get better. There are some that we're kind of waiting for them to get a little technically better and, but they're not, that they're not, they don't require multi millions and millions of dollars to get better it's more just you know figuring it out getting it right using spending wisely and as a filmmaker myself i understand these things where i just you know you always want a second chance and a third chance and so you are reliant on making a good film because if you don't you won't do it again uh and because you won't make the money back again and sadly it's a money game but if you can, you know, bring the spirit into it, uh, you can do it. And so I think you're going to see more of these independent, smaller budget movies that are made for, you know, under a million dollars that are, that are good and decent that are going to come out because Hollywood can only go so far so long with this model that they're of remakes and redos, you know, and sequels that they can, they can only go so far. And uh, anyway, that's, that's yeah. That my... brings up another question. Uh, I used to be a big fan of Glenn Beck mm-hmm. until he started knocking the Bundys, and he started losing me. Really started losing me when he talked about Donald Trump. That's another story. But yeah, he, he started losing me when he started knocking on the Bundys. I just knew there wasn't something right about what he was saying. He, you know, I call it the gift of discernment. Well. <laughs> Uh, Glenn Beck, when I used to like him, when he invented the Blaze TV, back then it was GBTV. Yeah. He mentioned that he was going to work with Hollywood executives because they personally came and told him there isn't much innovation in Hollywood. Would you concur with Glenn Beck? Yeah. Uh, I will. And why do you I think would, that is? Is it because of the political correctness? Is it, why do you think that is? Well, it's a it's a combination because it's it's there's a lot of things at stake. One, there's the morality side, which will only last so long. And I mean, it has lasted a long time, but but I think you're getting more and more people sick of the more moral immorality of it. Then there's the side of of uh you know being able to make things cheaper faster quicker that's the american way i mean that the american way is to be able to take something and say oh i can do it better and i can do it faster and and you know hollywood has always struggled to be able to do things cheaper they they love to they spend money like the government they spend it like there is no end in sight and and while yeah they may have budgets and things, they they they're I think that as far as innovating something new, they're they Hollywood kind of lives the you know McDonald's kind of you know we know how it works so we're just gonna decorate it maybe with a different you know colored box or you know a different clown or you know something like that for the for the most part it's always. You know, they, 
I, I get why they make sequels and, and remakes. I get it because it's a safe investment. You know, you, you know that you're, you, you can sit there and do the math and say, oh, if we spend $100 million, we know we can make $200 million because we're going we're gonna to cater to the kids and we're going to cater to this and it's going to have this superhero in it. And, and we're going to, you know, and so, yeah, so it becomes a business decision. But it's not, but art, you know, art is so difficult to make, you know, art and business sometimes don't work. And, and you've got to be able to, you know, through time, make things that are a little more in, you know, ingenious, you know, that we haven't seen anything really ingenious. You know, has there been a really good comedy that's come out of Hollywood recently? I mean, there really hasn't. You know, we, I was, I think we watched the other day, not long ago, Fletch. And, and I remember Fletch because that was the year I graduated from high school when Fletch came out. What and year did you graduate? 85. So. Oh, okay. I was uh, going, so, yeah, going into kindergarten so, that year. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I'm, I'm in my fifties. So <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I remembered, I remember, uh, even though I act like I'm in my thirties, but, <laughs> but uh, I remember, you know, and I remember thinking there just has uh, the other night we watched um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and we watched Galaxy Quest and Mystery Men. You know, these are some of my favorite movies, but these are all late nineties movies. You know, there, there hasn't been a good comedy in a long time that I could actually say I went to the theater to go see, you know, and I'm a Star Wars fan, and I got to this last Star Wars, and I just went, okay, I'm done. You know, that was it. And, uh, you know, take a big, big, you know, deep breath, and let's look for something new. You know, and that's kind of where I'm at. Same with the Marvel. Same with Marvel. I mean, big Avengers fan. I love the Avengers. But once Endgame came, that was my Endgame. <laughs> I, was, I was like, okay, let's look for something new. I'm not ready to go see it because I know that, that, you know, they have, they've made their money and now it's time to, to, to be politically correct and, and to be able to, you know, push certain agendas and, and, yeah. you know, and, and it does, it does get, I'm kind of with you on that because I, I do feel like there has to be, you know, there has to be a way of storytelling and reaching the audience without having to, to start getting political about everything, you know, well, let me so. tell you uh, my concern about the LDS Film Festival, but then uh, we'll talk about the future. I do not want this film festival. You're doing a great job so far. I mean, I, I was really impressed with the awards show. I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, like I said, I was highly skeptical when I went in there, but I'm glad I did. Uh, my fear is that the LDS Film Festival is going to start being politically correct or whatever. Uh, I'm under the, uh, that's my fear. I don't want it to get so big that it's going to have an agenda or politically correct or whatever. I, I don't want it to be, oh, this is too conservative. We can't show this. Or That's my fear. And what is the future for the uh, LDS Film Festival? Because I'm honestly thinking about coming down here next year to go see it. I'm really thinking about it. Well, you should, and uh, <laughs> and it's I, I I hope to not make it you know politically correct. I, I I mean my big thing is that I you know we we try to find a balance with the movies that we show, you know, and there are you know. 
I would say that in LDS, in the LDS world, there are probably more, uh, now let's see, how can I be uh, nice about this? Uh, there's, there are, there are a lot of uh, leftists. Oh yes. That are, that are, you can that say are the in. word leftists on this podcast. Okay. All right. There we go. <laughs> I, I personally, personally, I'm pretty libertarian. And, yeah. And as that, am I. That's kind of where I am. I, I, you know, I, I, I've had to try to be open-minded and loving and, and not worry about the thing. And I try to be very apolitical when I have discussions with people, but, but I know that, that we, you know, the the liberal policies enter into the, the people there's quite a few people who are lds in the lds market that are that have become very liberal over time absolutely and, uh, even byu it, sadly enough yeah and and we we have them right there and and so i as a festival owner i have to you know i work i have to work with them and I, I love them and I try to find what's positive. And we've had movies that have been politically charged that people have tried to show into the festival and we've turned away mm -hmm. because we just realized it's not, that's not our audience, you know? I mean, I, don't, I didn't really want to be political one way or the other with the festival, but, it, but it, it, you know, it doesn't hurt to make a film where you're just showing facts. If it's a documentary about something on race or gender, you know, it's fine to, to have films that have stuff in it that doesn't push one way or the other, as long as in the end, uh, Christ becomes the answer. Or as long as it becomes that, that you know, repentance. And, you know, it, it, our, our mission is that if it, if it slams the church, we don't show it. And that's, that's, kind, of, that's kind of where our line is drawn. And, uh, you know, there have been people who've come in with, with, you know, we have one gentleman who comes, who I love dearly. He's a good friend of mine, but he can get very political and he brings in a racial documentary every year. Um, and he, and he does a great job and we'll show him because, because, you know, you don't disagree with, you know, wanting to, to not be a racist by any means. Uh, but, but if you, if, but, you know, occasionally he might come in with something where it pushes the Democrat party and I, and I, and it slams the church and I'll turn it down because our goal is not to slam the church and it's, and our goal is not to promote the Democrat party. <laughs> it's just to tell stories, you know, and let the, let the movie goer decide on their own. And so we can be fair. And so that's where that's, in my opinion, we're working hard to holding those reins of, of allowing people to come in, allowing voices to come in. But if you slam the church or you slam our faith, or you know, if it's something where, you know, it becomes irreverent, then we, we, we turn it away. And we have done that. And so hopefully in the future, it won't be that way as long as, as you know, as long as I, as long as I'm here, you know. Yeah, so, I, 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 do you think it's going to get harder and harder to run the festival and keep the balance? Yeah, it will. <laughs> I'm just saying it like it is. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah, it, I, I, it will because it already has the last three years. I've already seen, you know, race and gender are the two big things that that people love to discuss, and and luckily. I haven't had to, you know, I've had one complaint with one movie 
that we showed uh, maybe the first year, I can't remember, maybe it was last year or something. This year, I didn't really have any complaints. Last year, like I said, I think we had one complaint with somebody who didn't like it, but you know, that's nothing I could do about, you know, everybody runs on different levels, you know, on what they expect and, and what they don't expect. But for the most part, we've been pretty good, but we do, we do have to work hard at, at, uh, you know, making sure that, that, that our audience, because that's, that's who you're playing to. I mean, if you were to enter a film into say a gay and lesbian film festival, which they exist, there's a lot of them. Uh, because they're so big in the arts. If you were to if you were to make a film, an anti-gay movie, and you enter it into uh, a gay and lesbian film festival, don't expect to get entered. You know that's just that's just part of it. You know, if you're going to enter a, a film about how much you hate San Antonio, and and then you go enter it into a San Antonio film festival, don't expect to get entered. You know, it's just it's an, the audience that you that you're serving when you're, when you go to that film festival. And so the same comes here and, uh, and we just, we just try hard to hold it at bay and but let Christ be the answer. That's, that's where we kind of take it. So. Okay. I have to ask you this question because if I don't, I'm going to really get hounded on by the blind community. And I realize okay. I should probably ask this to more so to the producers of the movies but have you ever thought about, or have the producers ever thought about having descriptive video service on these movies? Um, well, it depends. Uh, a lot of it is just, and you're right, that's actually an individual. <laughs> yeah, I just, I have to ask it because politically yeah. I have to. Mm -hmm. And you should. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that... Um, Really, honestly, I, it's it's that's more a technical issue than it is uh, because it, it all comes down to like for example, um, oh what is it uh, like uh, closed captioning? You know, a lot of yeah. people back about closed captioning for the festivals, and that's it's technically hard to do. It's not very quick and easy, and so it so it it really comes down to money. If somebody wanted to fork out some money to allow those services to be rendered, then by all means, we, you know, we'd be happy to, to see if we can make it work. I've never done them. I've, I've done closed captioning and that's it. I've never, I've never done any of the other types of services for the festival, uh, mostly because of financial reasons, but, but uh, we don't even do closed captioning for the festival. I just do them for individual movies. Mm -hmm. So, so at this point in time, I wouldn't know how to do it in the first place. <laughs> so, yeah, well, well I think, uh, not to brag, but now that I have a connection with you, I can talk to some of these producers and bring it up to them. Totally. No, totally yeah. should. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Totally should. That's right. Okay. So my last question before, oh, by the way, stay with me when the podcast is ended. I want to talk to you if you can. Um, okay. You're not in trouble though. Oh, good. Uh, <laughs> was you and Stephanie, um, actually, I guess I'll ask you two questions. No, how did you and Stephanie meet? And you said that you started going to the film festival since you and Stephanie were married. Uh, how did that, or how did you two meet? You want to answer that question? Well, long, long time ago, 
I was homeless, and Kels showed me. Really, who's not homeless? (laughs) (laughs) We're we're both we both we're both remarried, and we both were married before, and we have kids. We don't have any kids together, Mm -hmm. but we both met online. We met on LDS Planet. Yep. Really. Yep. Yeah. So. That's a but whole other topic for another podcast. Okay. Right. Yeah. Is is online it dating? It truly is. Yeah. But it's uh, it was a rough world because it's, you know, we had both negative experiences with online dating, mm-hmm. and then we met each other and had a good experience. Yeah. With online dating, and so. So yeah. Well, let me ask you this though: Is it hard to blend the two families because most second marriages don't work? Now, I'm not going to ask you how you made your work because. Is it hard because my dad and stepmom did not get along, and I think part of it is because they were not married to each other from the very beginning, so you've got that aspect. Now, fortunately, all of us kids were raised, so that aspect was out of the way, but there were other issues, the grandkids, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, the the grandkids. No, uh, oh, why why didn't you tell me so and so was coming over? Well, you never tell me when your kids come over. Why do I have to tell you those things? Yeah, well, this, uh, is it hard? Had, it is. Very it is hard, hard yeah, because you're hard. taking you're taking two separate lives. You've raised two separate families, and now they have to embrace this new relationship this new happily ever after that they weren't part of. I think that that adds a lot of controversy, but also the thing for Kels and I is that we really work hard to be on each other's team. You know, we compliment each other often. We're very communication um, oriented. We we're honest with each other and we cheer each other on. I think, and I think the biggest thing is we, as long as we went into it knowing it was going to be difficult, Mm -hmm. we already knew it was going to be difficult. And because of that, my sister, my sister did it. So when I became divorced and realized I had to get, I was going to get remarried because I wanted to be remarried. uh, My sister warned me, it's going to be the hardest thing you'll ever do. But, you know, make sure you're on the same team. And we, that's probably our secret is that Stephanie and I, it, it's like watching the hurricane. And I've lived through hurricanes and, and, and I've kind of likened being divorced and remarried kind of like living in a hurricane where uh, you know it's coming. And as long as you hold on to what you have and you hold on to yourself, the hurricane will come. It'll destroy everything and then it'll go away. And then you just, you be the ones to pick up the pieces together. Together. And so, as long as Stephanie and I realize that these hurricanes will come and go, but as long as we pick up the pieces together and we're on the same mission, it doesn't matter all around us what happens. We know that the kids will struggle and suffer and the X's and all that nonsense is going to mm-hmm. come and go, Certainly, but we can't control everything, but we can control our own love for each other. And that's, that's our mission is what we do for each other and everything else just comes secondary. You know, we, we just do our best. And, and so we've seen success. We've seen the struggles. And then now we're, we just married off Stephanie's daughter last week uh, in the oh, temple. Okay. 
and uh, and it would be and it was a and that was our first of five children. Yeah, that was our first first one to, to be to married. Finally, get married, and she's the next to the youngest. All the rest of them aren't married yet, but but it was a good experience. We made it before they closed the temples because of the virus, and so <laughs> they weren't supposed to get married for a month, but they pushed it the last minute, and boom, they got in Saturday night, and yep. They informed us on Friday morning <laughs> Friday they morning. were getting married the next so day. Married and, oh, it's funny. So that so. was, whew. Well, yeah. congratulations. Maybe you two can write a book about your marriage when uh, <laughs> you retire we, from the film festival. We considered that, Yeah, yes. we, we've, you know, when we got married, Stephanie and I actually eloped. We actually got married. One day we just decided, let's just do it. Oh. And, that night we got, this was 13 years ago and then 14, almost 14 years ago. Yeah. And we got married uh, in the backyard of, or the front yard of uh, the judge's house. Really? So we, didn't, we didn't tell anybody that we were married for a good several weeks or months. And then we had a reception a few months later at the time we were supposed to get married. How were you and secretive about it with kids and all that? Yeah, we were just, we were just, we just did it. And then eventually we told them, yeah. And, and, uh, and what was funny is that night that we got married, we went to somebody else's wedding reception and didn't say anything to them. <laughs> and it was hilarious because we were giggling the whole night knowing that we were married. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> anyway, we just, we just, that's the way we live. I mean, we just, we just do it because we know it's right. And, yeah. You know. So. Were there hard feelings though? Because I know sometimes when people elope, parents get mad. Parents don't talk to the kid who got married for years. Was there any of that? Or no, I, there there wasn't. Um, in fact, my bishop was probably the one who was the most happy because he kept seeing this woman hanging out in my apartment every night. And I, I assured I, him we were married. I was the weekend wife. <laughs> That's right. Wow. <laughs> so we'd also go back to work during the week. See, I lived in Ogden at the time and Kels lived here in, in I, Orem. I lived in Orem. So it was, it was a 90 mile drive, you know, yeah. between, between us. So it got tough every day. And I had no kids every other weekend. But we would spend daily time together because I was working on murals in South Jordan and Kels would bring me lunch every day. So we got to know each other very well and felt that we were very compatible. Obviously, you got sealed at some point. Yeah, we did, about yes. three years later, we got okay. 2010. permissions from the exes and everything. Yep. So yep, thing. I know all about that. Not not yeah. firsthand, but my my father went through the same thing. I know all about it. Uh huh. Good times. So, but let me was. ask this uh, before we end the podcast: What is your favorite part about being a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints? Hmm. I I like being different. I consider being a member of the church different, and I love that we study. And I think for the most part, we're, and I say this for the most part, I'm not saying this pridefully, but I think we're educated. And because we're, we're, we're we try to be educated as, as members of a faith, we, we try not to just be members of a faith just to be, oh, well, this is what you do. And this is what you do. I actually like knowing why we do what we do and, and the church People say you can't question the church. I disagree. I say you can oh, question I, it. Well, yeah. 
and you should question it because you will always find an answer. And I love that about the faith. That's my favorite thing is being different and knowing that we're why, knowing why. Mm. So what about you, Steph? The thing that I love about being a member of this church is the fact that no matter where you go in the world, that there's always a sense of family. Um, one thing that I really emphasize on bringing to the film festival is the concept of family, um, where it doesn't matter where you're coming from or where you've been, we're all in this together. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thanks very much. Like I said, if you can, stay after here because I want to talk to you about something. Uh, but uh, thanks very much for being on the podcast, folks. You bet. Thank you, Kevin. Thank appreciate you, Kevin. It. We appreciate the opportunity. Yep.